tonight on the Twilight Zone podcast, we're going to take a different signpost up ahead, and we're going to take a look at one of those other avenues of the Twilight Zone, and one of the forms of the Twilight Zone that has been around almost as long as the television show itself is the Twilight Zone in comic book form. But I'm not going to take this road alone. Tonight I have a guest with me. I announced him last time, and it is my good friend, Zach Moore. How's it going, Zach? Hey, Tom. Happy to be on this uh, supernatural highway with you as we take the signpost up ahead to to Comicville. (laughs) Yeah, yeah. Well, this was your idea, so, you know, we'll see how this turns out and whether I will thank you for that in the end. Don't hold it against me if we... (laughs) (laughs) Normally, when I do things like this, I would uh, wait till the end of the show to say to people, you know, what what do you do? What kind of podcasting do you do? That kind of thing. But, you know, now I think it's nice to do that up front because it gives the audience a chance to get to know you because I've been on your show, was it last year now? Yeah, I think it was about a year ago. Yes, sir. But you've not been on this show, so let's introduce you to the audience. Tell us a bit about your podcasting. Well, Portrait of a I don't know. I was going to go to some Rod Serling intro about myself, but no, I'm not 36. I'm 31, actually, for those who are mm-hmm. interested. So I'm not, I'm not a salesman with a midlife crisis. So uh, I do I do have a podcast, Standard Orbit, on the Trek FM Star Trek Podcasting Network, and we talk about the original series, old, mm-hmm. new, animated, anything to have to do with Captain Kirk and the Enterprise. That's our wheelhouse over there. Uh, so yeah. that's my – Star Trek is like my first – nerd love if you will i grew up watching star trek uh the movies the next generation those are deep space nine as well you know i love all those and there's a lot of crossover between the twilight zone and star trek so that's why we got we got to talk on on our show uh last year i believe the episode was called i'm terrible with episode numbers but we try to think of Mm. catchy names for them right so this one was called defined by a sword in his hand and we were talking about george decay and the encounter episode of the twilight zone uh, and then he's uh, has it's all about a sword, a samurai sword. And on Star mm-hmm. Trek, probably Sulu's most famous moment and episode is in the Naked Time, where he's running out with a sword. So we kind of made that connection. And that's where that title comes from. So for those that you want to hear Tom over on Standard Orbit, go look it up, and you can find us over there. So love Star Trek. Talk about Star Trek all the time. Uh, I also love Smallville. I'm a big Superman fan, and uh, uh-huh. I, I grew up at the same time as Smallville was on the air, and that's a show. For those not familiar, it's a show about young Superman, Clark Kent, growing up in Smallville before he's Superman. And I'd always been a DC Comics fan, I love superheroes and things like that. And the main thing with me, though, I was the same age as Clark on the show. So, like, freshman year of okay. high school, Clark was. I was freshman year of high school. So, that to me, that, like, sealed the deal. Like, oh, man, this is my life. This is great. You know, I'm going to grow up with this show. So, anyway, those are my those are my two podcasts. Those are my loves. Uh, you can find mm-hmm. us on Trek FM on Twitter. And you can find us at Always Smallville with one S on Twitter as well. That's the, the best, quickest way to find us out there. And, uh, and I just, you know, I love podcasting. A lot of people, they... Uh, connect with other fans and express their fandom in different ways, and I, I just, I just love yeah. like this the conversational aspect of it. And and I must say, now that I'm on the Twilight Zone podcast, you your podcast is one of the big inspirations for me to to go into podcasting because that was back in what 2009 was it you, you started? Two, maybe 2010, okay, yeah, something uh-huh. like that. Yeah, so I, I had uh, recently graduated college and I got an iPhone and I'm like, oh, a podcast. Let me get into this and. Wh- what are some shows that I like? I like the Twilight Zone. Is there a Twilight Zone podcast? There is. It's the Twilight Zone podcast. You can't get more official than that. And there have been many, many have come after you, but you stand head and shoulders above the rest still. So I'm uh, really, really happy to be here on the Twilight Zone podcast talking to you, Tom. Well, thank you, man. I appreciate that. You know, and, uh, you know, let's not compliment each other too much, but, <laughs> you know, I'm a kind of lapsed Trekkie, but I still 
I haven't watched the original series in years, but I still listen to Standard Orbit just because I love the kind of camaraderie of it and it does remind me of things that I, I watched years ago and kind of thing. And I always think, I'm going to watch some Star Trek again and I never get round to it, but I still enjoy the podcast purely because you guys put on a great show over there. So thank you, man. Appreciate that. Thank you. Okay, so what we're going to do tonight... We've talked about this a little bit. It's going to be maybe a little looser than your your general Twilight Zone podcast because, like I said, it's about the Twilight Zone in comics, but we're not going to talk about the old Gold Key comics. Have you ever read any of those? I have not. I've seen the uh, covers. I believe you posted some of them on the uh, some of the mm-hmm. social media. So those looked interesting. Uh, that Star Trek actually has some similar interesting looking gold key comics so they they had a, a, a really uh, uh, wild and vivid imagination back then in the 60s when they were doing yeah. tie-in comics didn't they yeah yeah you know i i don't mean to uh be rude about them i, I don't personally like them that much i think the covers are beautiful mm-hmm. um but i have read a bunch of them and and they're just kind of really simplistic you know uh which is fine that's what it was at the time but i think comics have moved on so much now that it is difficult to to kind of read them um and then there was i think now comics did a run which was a, a little bit crazy i've read some of those you know but again there'd be things like giant bugs in them you know things that aren't particularly twilight zone-esque but then a few years ago now maybe 2013 2014 it was dynamite comics who seemed to get the license to do twilight zone they started out with the J. Michael Straczynski, I always struggle with his name, run of uh, Twilight Zone comic books. So we won't go too deep into them because we're going to focus more on the Shadow and Substance run. And, and I'll explain what that is in a minute. But what did you think of the Straczynski run? I, I love J. Michael Straczynski. I'm very familiar with his work from Babylon 5, uh, which is one of the best mm-hmm. sci-fi shows of all time. If people haven't watched it, it's on Amazon Prime now, so it's really a lot more accessible if people want to check out his work. And uh, he mm-hmm. he had a singular vision on that show, and he had a singular vision in his, uh, I guess, trilogy of comic books. Uh, they, they ended up being collected into three uh, parts, uh, the way out, the way in, and the way back. And yeah. uh, they were they all, and it was unique for the Twilight Zone because even in something like Twilight Zone the movie, for example, there was no uh, overarching story. But in these trilogy, in this trilogy, there was. And I, I and I thought, you know, hearing that, you you think, can you pull that off in the Twilight Zone? Usually they're episodic or self-contained. But I felt like they actually did intersect quite nicely and very cleverly. Mm-hmm. And it was ultimately an extremely satisfying experience. Everything kind of pays off at the end. I mean, I don't want to spoil anything here. I recommend everyone go check it out. But yeah. there's certain things he plants seeds that, that you forget about. And then you come back around him at the end like, oh, it all it's all connected. It makes sense. And, you know, I know a question you ask a lot is, is it is it good? Yes, it's good. Is it Twilight Zone? Mm-hmm. I'd say so. So, I mean, for anyone who wants more Twilight Zone, I definitely recommend checking out the J. Michael Straczynski initial run on Dynamite Comics. Yeah. I actually think, you know, obviously they're doing the Jordan Peele Twilight Zone now, but if they were going down the movie route, I think that would be a pretty decent template for how to do a Twilight Zone movie Mm. rather than having separate segments because it is segmented, but they, they overlap so beautifully into this really satisfying whole that I think that would be a really great way to do it, you know. And I think as a start-off to this run of comic books, you know, it really did start out on a high, didn't it? Well, and there was, at the time, I don't know if they had planned to do an ongoing run. This was a limited run, and I think that helped because they could tell a story with a beginning, middle, and an end. And again, mm-hmm. if you have to just 
come out with comic books indefinitely. You know, you have to do episodic. You have to do. You know, you start to run out of ideas as as we might as we might find as we get into the shadow and substance. Uh, yeah. But for this one, that helped that they had a certain goal in mind, or at least he did. And uh, mm-hmm. again, it's self-contained. It's not an on- part of an ongoing story, and I think that was really helps that as well. And I hundred percent agree. If they were going to do a movie, just adapt that, like straight up, <laughs> adapt that into a movie. He's done movie scripts before. He's written uh, the Changeling, a uh, movie that Clint mm-hmm. Eastwood directed. He also did uh, actually did some, the script of Thor, uh, the first uh, yeah. uh, Thor movie from the Marvel Cinematic Universe. And he's he's no stranger to live action. And he worked on the original Twilight, uh, not the original. The, I, the, I was going to say the original reboot of the Twilight Zone from the '80s. <laughs> so I would love. I mean, I don't know what his schedule is like, but man, if they can get him in on the Jordan Peele show, um, that'd be, yeah. be a great resource to contribute. Even adapt some of these stories, right? It'd be great. But it, even if they don't, they stand great as comics alone. They don't have to be adapted to to have worth. I think they're great. As they are. I mean, people's thoughts on that show are very mixed, but he actually did a book as well of the stories that he wrote in that reboot series, and he wrote them in prose and in book form. And taken away from that very 80s look that the show had, the stories stand on their own really well as great Twilight Zone stories. I think he was able to tap into that Twilight Zone vibe really well. Whether it's successful in the 80s show because of a a number of things, you know, everyone has their own opinions on that. But I do think he's really got Twilight's own credentials as a writer, you know. So after Straczynski's run, we then had a book called Twilight Zone The Shadow. It was a four-issue miniseries. And I must admit, when I first heard heard about it, I was like, really? (laughs) You're doing this? Okay. But... I uh, I ends up reading it and I I did become convinced. So, what what were your thoughts on Twilight Zone: The Shadow? So I was familiar with The Shadow only through the Alec Baldwin movie uh, from the mm-hmm. '90s. I had no other like comic books or or any kind of uh, pre-established thoughts about what The Shadow should be. Uh, but I love it. he's from that pulpy '30s era, you know, of the original Batman yeah. and that kind of thing. So that, that they kind of those characters actually correlate. Uh, and if you actually look at, you know, he has a butler in a car in a costume, and he's a socialite. He, he is kind of like a Bruce Wayne light. Well, mm-hmm. actually, I don't, I don't know who came first, the the Shadow or Batman, actually. So I don't know. I don't want to say who who's copying <laughs> who. But uh, I love that time period. You know, uh, mm-hmm. it is time, much like the 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 fifties of the Twilight Zone is timeless. The thirties, the Art Deco is timeless in its own way. Uh, and so it is. It's it, as you said. It's I'm very skeptical when they cross over intellectual properties right i think i think one of the most egregious ones i I ever saw was was star trek x-men i was like what is this nonsense uh (laughs) i've never read it it might be good entertaining i don't know but i just saw a cover and it's like Worf and wolverine on together i'm like okay i I know you have the patrick stewart connection there professor x but anyway that's its own wrinkle but anyway it's when they try to when, when when uh companies try to force together two intellectual properties to try to get both audiences it's usually a shrewd corporate move, and not it's birthed out of that, not out of creativity. Like somebody, I have a great idea for the Shadow in the Twilight Zone, but that is the case here. The, mm-hmm. the, the author did had a great idea, and I think it it turned, pulled together pretty well because the Shadow, he is um, from from based off of what I'm familiar with. I'm by no means an expert on him, but he does delve into that mystical world, you know. So there is yeah. that. Um, you know the fringes of of the the natural and the supernatural that he exists on that can cross over the Twilight Zone very well, and uh, it, it kind of it, you know, taught him a lesson. He went through his own as if he were the main character in a Twilight Zone episode, having to be the shadow. That is what this run was, and mm-hmm. it's not like 
the shadow teaming up with the Twilight Zone or something. I don't even know what that would look like. <laughs> but I, I, he went on this journey and he went on it with him, and it paired a lot of respect to the history of the character, as I understand it as well. And I, uh, not yeah. even a, as a fan of the shadow, I, I, I really, I really liked it, and I, you know, that has kind of made me reconsider perhaps more crossovers with the Twilight Zone. Maybe that's an avenue they could take in the future, but I don't know. you got to be really careful with this because, like I said, if you, the mm-hmm. wrong things, just they just don't matter. I don't want to see the Twilight Zone Green Lantern or something. I don't think that would work. But anyway, uh, I, I really enjoyed this run, and I think it, it, it respected both uh, intellectual properties. I, I would be open to it, but like you say, you'd need to be quite careful with it about what you did because I collect uh, the Planet of the Apes Boom uh, comic books, mm-hmm. you know, the... Uh, the ones that did, they're doing over there. And, you know, they're great. And a lot of them I haven't read. They're sitting on my shelf, but I'm too Twilight Zone orientated at the moment. That's for another day. Um, but they did this, their main kind of book. And I, I think maybe it wasn't selling enough or something because they stopped doing that. And then we've got, I've got sitting on my shelf over there. You mentioned them, Green Lantern. We've got Planet <laughs> of the Apes, Green Lantern. <laughs> We've got Planet of the Apes, King Kong. Okay, I have I love King Kong. King the original nineteen thirty three King Kong is my favorite film of all time, and I love King uh-huh. Kong. And so I have I haven't much like you. I have them sitting in a pile. I haven't read them yet, but I have them buying. Yeah. Th- I'm like this is fascinating. I'm like they're both apes, so I can see why you made the connection. But I, I'm curious <laughs> to see where where they go with that. Yeah, I mean that's the thing. They might be great, and and I'm I'm sure they are because a lot of the apes books have been great. But would we like to see that with the Twilight Zone? I don't know. Maybe not Twilight Zone King Kong, but I'm sure, <laughs> you know, Twilight Zone, some things might be fine. I mean, Batman would probably work quite well if, if the Shadow did, because again, they're both pe- uh, characters who judge other people in certain ways. So that could work. I think there, there's a uh, writer artist, Matt Wagner, who did some Batman comics. Uh, and I, I forget the name of the, the duology, but one was like Batman and the Mad Monk and Batman and the Monster Men, and they are actually they were mm. reinterpretations of early 30s comic books like by Bob Kane and Bill Finger, and that's why they worked so well uh, in that context. Yeah. And, and they were they dealt with supernatural kind of things, like like the one with the Mad Monk is he's a vampire, but you never really know if he was a vampire or not, and I think that kind of ambiguity could totally work. So if they, if they did take mm-hmm. the pre-Robin, you know, purple gloves Batman, you know, with a gun, let's get him in yeah. the Twilight Zone. That, that I would be interested in that, yes. Cool. Okay, so that's kind of where Dynamite got up to, to a certain point. And then they started releasing a book called Shadow and Substance. Now, at the time, I thought this was going to be a regular book, like an ongoing series, but maybe it was and it got cancelled, or maybe it was and they, they just kind of thought well, it's a limited run. I really don't know the history of it, but is it right that they haven't released a book since 2014? I, I looked at I was looking for the sequel um, Things and Ideas, which I think would be the logical <laughs> sequel title to Shadow and Substance. <laughs> uh, couldn't find it though, but no, I, I wasn't able to find any new Twilight Zones since. So I, I, I do I have a yeah. suspicion that perhaps sales were not what they had hoped, and they just kind of quietly, you know, put it on the shelf for now, so to speak. And I would assume, you know, uh-huh. when the Jordan Peele show starts, maybe it'll start up again because they're all about tie-ins and stuff like that. But, uh, but no, as yeah. far as I could tell as well, Tom, this is, uh, this is, this is all we got so far from dynamite. So they collected these issues. I think it was that book shadow and substance and maybe a, a couple of annuals or something. Mm-hmm. And they collected them all into quite, you know, quite a hefty little book here. Um, and it's got 11 twilight zone stories in it. Now, most of them were written by a gentleman named Mark Rayner, I believe. 
we're going to kind of just flick through these and we'll like i said we'll keep it quite loose because there's 11 stories we don't want to get too deep because we'll be here all night but also uh some of them i'm not sure you could get too deep into them <laughs> so this episode will be maybe a little scrappier than usual and you'll probably hear those pages turn and um, <laughs> as we're going through them but the first story is a story called Stumbling Distance. Now, it concerns a writer who is going to his hometown for a book signing. And he, you know, he likes a drink. He spends the whole plane journey there just chugging back the booze. And when he gets back there through some kind of mechanism, he ends up meeting himself as a kid kind of thing. Obviously, it's a, a kind of play on walking distance, stumbling distance, because right. he... He's a drunkard. His mum's a drunkard. But he meets himself as a kid, doesn't he? And, and and kind of, we see the problematic life he had as a child, don't we? Yeah, it's, uh, first of all, I'm glad they at least acknowledged that, yes, we're calling it stumbling distance. We know it's walking distance, okay? We know you're going to mm -hmm. say that it is, so they got that out of the way with the title. Uh, it did feel like a very Twilight Zone setup. You know, writer... You know, they, they, they say uh -huh. that writers are like the best main characters or reporters, right, to have in stories because they have no eight to five schedules. So you can have them go anywhere and do anything at any time. <laughs> so that kind of opens up the, the storytelling <laughs> possibilities. Um, it You know, I, I say it is a very Twilight Zone story, but it is a little cliche, right? It's like, oh, you mm -hmm. meet yourself as a kid and he's a troubled past and maybe the pat maybe maybe your mom wasn't as bad as you thought or that kind of thing. And it's it's interesting because he's not. It, it is it is like he's on the fringes of the past, like he encounters the kid and his mom, but he's not in the past 100%. He kind of slowly slips into it, which kind of mm -hmm. parallels his spiral out of downward spiral out of, you know, out of touch with reality. You know, he gets more he's missing. He misses his book signing. He doesn't call people back. He, he really kind of falls into this rabbit hole, which I did like that aspect. You know, someone like who's, who's slowly mm -hmm. losing control. Or, or, or the perception of the world around them as well, instead of just like, oh, wait, I'm back in 1983 or something. So uh -huh. that was a new wrinkle to like the, the walking distance uh, template, I think. We might as well put out a spoiler warning because we, we will spoil these stories. Mm -hmm. But what I'll do, I'll put in the show notes a timestamp. And if you just want to say, is this book worth getting, you can go and, and see where that timestamp is and, and know where you need to jump forward to. But it actually reminds me Yes, of walking distance, but also an 80s Twilight Zone episode that I just covered recently on Twilight Zone Aftermath called A Life Furnished in Early Poverty by Harlan Ellison. And it's kind of a progression of that story because, you know, Martin Sloan in walking distance doesn't really hang out with himself as a kid as such, but A Life Furnished in Early Poverty, he's hanging out with himself as a kid, they're doing this, they're wrestling and all kinds of stuff. And in this one, he meets his former, his younger self, and he's kind of trying to say to him, you know, listen, things are going to be okay. Your life is a bit crappy at the moment, but things are going to get better. And it's kind of leading up to a, a pivotal event that he knows is going to happen. We kind of get there, and he and he makes a decision that he, he's going to try and stop this this event happening. Now, I, I guess maybe this is where it diverges from your your typical walking distance or a life furnished in early poverty, doesn't it? Mm -hmm. Because he chooses to stay in the past and rewrite uh -huh. his own history, which is, I mean, uh, new. Like you said, it's a new twist on it. I, I don't know. I mean, here's the thing, right? This isn't like 
This isn't like Back to the Future or Terminator or Star Trek where there's some kind of time travel rules. This is the Twilight Zone here. So we don't know what the rules mm-hmm. are. So you think, oh, well, if he stays in the past, how could he blah, 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 you you know, grandfather paradox and all that. Uh, but he's going to rewrite history with himself and they're just going to take over the world together or whatever. You know, they, they have they, they're kind of have a devil may care attitude as they drive off and with that car. Um, that, yeah. uh, and it, there was, I guess, I guess was the car salesman and we, I, you know, now we're just talking about it. Right. Um, mm-hmm. was he like the conduit of the twilight zone there? Cause he's like, make sure you bring this car back by this time. And if you don't, you, can, <laughs> you won't get home. I mean, that's the way I interpreted it. That was the one kind of pivot point or pivot character between the reality of the real world and the twilight zone experience that he went through. It's a good call. I didn't really see it at the time, but I, I thought the car was, but I thought that might just be one of those twilight zone device, you know, the thing that needs to be where it needs to be at a particular time. Mm-hmm. But yeah, the, you know, so it, it's, it's kind of like Martin Sloan going back and speaking to his dad and his dad saying, you only get one summer, you can't go back. And he's, he's like, you know what, dad? No, I am going to come back. I'm going to move back in. <laughs> so, <laughs> screw you, Dad. But oh man, when the mom ripped up the comic books, oh, oh. <laughs> so I, I obviously am a comic fan. We're talking about these comics here. I was like, oh no, what a terrible mom. So, <laughs> but the the thing that was going to happen is he was going to slash his wrists as as a child, and we see when he drives off with the kid that those those slash marks on his wrist begin to fade. So obviously they go and to a new future that they're going to kind of rewrite himself where he becomes his own guardian in a way. So, you know, I I thought this was a decent enough start. You know, like you say, it's a little cliche now because we've seen it a lot, but maybe that that ending was a a different enough twist to make it a bit different. It it reminded me, and maybe this is in the Twilight Zone mindset that that I'm in as I read these, it reminded me of the end of uh, It's a Good Life from from the movie where they kind of drive off Mm -hmm. and they're going to, we had a troubled kid who now has a guardian who's going to look after him and like set him straight and they're off to better things and a better tomorrow. So it it was a, a, a kind of redemptive story. Uh, yeah. Because I mean, obviously, the scar, li- the literal scars of his youth have have disappeared, and now they have a fresh a fresh start. So yeah, yeah. As a start, I think this was solid. You know, so I would I would mm-hmm. recommend this as a just down the middle, above average Twilight Zone story. Okay, so then still within the Shadow and Substance book, uh, the second story is called Jailbreak. Now. There's echoes of a few things here. We we kind of meet this guy. He's an astronaut. Don't ask me names because, <laughs> yeah. you know, I, I went through this book yesterday and again today, but there's there's 11 stories here, so I'm not going to remember everyone's name. Um, but he kind of finds himself in this place, and it's it's almost like a, some sort of complex, you know, very plain, very bare. You've got your bedroom, but there's no roof on your bedroom because... All of these people there are being overseen by some sort of beings who we don't see. Mm -hmm. They're being fed by these beings. Most people seem quite docile and, you know, accepting of what this is. But we have this character who comes in and, you know, he's our major in five characters in search of an exit. He's not (laughs) going to settle settle for being in this place uh, kind of thing. So what what do you think of this one, Zach? Well... It, it, there is a gradual reveal to like it starts out you're just tight and you don't know like you're tight on tight shots of dialogue and the walls and you don't see like what's really going on here for the first you know couple pages and I think okay that's cool they kind of ease you into this this status quo I, I uh-huh. thought it was you know it reminded me of the end of spoilers of um what's the one a stopover in a quiet town uh, where okay. they get uh, 
basically taken by aliens and, and played with and they're in this fake environment, you know. Uh, so that's mm-hmm. immediately what I, what I thought about. It also reminded me a bit of uh, The Cage from Star Trek, uh, the original pilot where they take, you know, Captain Pike and they put him in the cage. And in Star Trek, every, same thing. We're not, you know, we're getting out of this. You know, it doesn't, all these other aliens, you know, you guys are docile. Well, not me. I'm Captain Pike. I'm getting back to my ship. That kind of, so that's what this guy's attitude. And that's a great call for five characters in search of an exit. Is that, that one guy who will not accept the new status quo and mm-hmm. you know, I, I think I think how was this a two part story? I think, and I think maybe the first part. I believe so. The first part, I was like kind of engaged and, and all that and, and going along with it, but then they eventually kind of get down to like this montage of all this time passing, like the second part, and then it's it's over, and you're like, oh, what was? I don't know. Like, I don't know what the point was to be honest <laughs> with this with this story at the end of the day, right? <laughs> I, I, I would, what were your thoughts on it? I mean, there's a few confusing aspects to me. Uh In Straczynski's run, I always knew what was happening all the time. Uh I find myself in this book, there's a few times where I'm scratching my head, you you know. Good, good. I I felt the same way because I'm like, you know, I feel like I'm a smart guy. I'm pretty, you know, a good reader. I can kind of follow, but but I'm like, did I miss something here? Are they just, are there some weird leaps of plot and logic that I'm just completely missing? I'm right there with you, Tom. Yeah, and and this is is one of them, you know... uh, like they get in a fight and one of them breaks his arm and he comes in with this sort of bubble over his arm and I guess the overlords, these beings who or whatever, are kind of looking at him. But then the, there's this other part where the shiny thing comes down and he grabs it and he disappears and it's like... Yeah, where do they go? It's like a mystery. Like, like they build up this mystery of like people are being taken away and like, I don't know, yeah. sometimes they come back, sometimes they don't and you think, oh, so th- there's going to be a reveal at some point of like where this is and, or, you know, but there's not. There's no payoff to to that mystery. Uh, the only payoff is like you see what I can interpret is like there's some kind of energy beings, you know, and they like uh-huh. and they treat us like we would treat a cat because there are some they they show like they do some juxtaposition of like a cat and yeah. a human and they're like, see, we are the pets. I'm like, okay, that, wow, mind blowing. I don't know. <laughs> I guess that's what they were going for. I guess, but I, I expected yeah. more more of a bite to the payoff of something. I don't know some. Because there's not really a twist, other than oh, oh well, okay, spoilers. But as you said, there's gonna be spoilers. Uh, he wants to get back to Earth, right? But Earth has been mm-hmm. destroyed, and these, this is we're in some kind of like endangered species habitat here. I guess that would be the the twist, but I don't know. I yeah. didn't. It really didn't feel like a twist. It felt like more of a just mm-hmm. oh, okay, an explanation more than a twist to me. Yeah, like you say. I mean, there's a bit early on where he kind of says, you know, what what do you want from us, and the this piece of paper falls down and it's a picture of a cat. Yeah. Um, so basically earth, I, we're, we're led to believe that earth has been destroyed and these beings have actually rescued certain people. Mm-hmm. But I, I guess it's like us keeping, you know, an ant farm or, or, or a hamster or something <laughs> where we don't truly understand it. We try and understand it to a degree and we try and give it what it needs and stuff like that. So these beings are, good it seems you know they're trying to keep them alive but they are keeping them as pets and the the closing narration is you know what's the difference between a prison and a sanctuary perhaps it's merely a matter of perspective or the quality of the cage yeah and then you think of you know you think of like uh people are like all over right where he's in the the, the Mm -hmm. human cage and all that and like okay i guess these are these are twilight zone s themes so i follow what you're trying to say but i I don't again i don't know The, the narration doesn't really fit What's going on? I, I so yeah, I was I was I was booked perplexed. This is when I fir- this is the first sign where I was like, okay, I don't think I'm gonna like these as much as I like <laughs> all the rest. So. 
Yeah, yeah. You, you know, I, I really like the setup, the kind of mystery, mm-hmm. and I, I think there's potential here that this story of the these beings are, are trying to be helpful, they're trying to be good, you know, and, and look after them, feed them and so on, but there's this disconnect of understanding between them that you, they're never truly going to be able to give them what they need because they don't understand them, they don't understand each other. And they are just kind of keeping them as pets in in a way. Well, what what is the journey of this character, though? I guess is the problem because in the first one, there's a journey, there's mm. a character arc you can follow, and that's what the Twilight Zone is all about. With the, you know these characters, this I mean, he's he doesn't want to stay there, and he's stuck there, and he dies there, and that's the end. Mm-hmm. It's like, oh, okay, what a journey we've been on together. <laughs> so that, that yeah. that's what it's missing to me. I, I think that personal journey of discovery of some kind. There's pros and cons with this one. <laughs> yes. I think yes. there's a. <laughs> There's pros and cons. But then our next story is called Takers. Now, this one is about a senator, and he is about to... I think they're trying to enact some sort of welfare bill or something, you know? And he's a senator, and he's going to do that thing that they call uh, filibustering or something, where they will talk something down. They will talk for so long that there isn't time to vote on this thing coming in or whatever, and it essentially kills the bill that they're trying to bring in. He is of the opinion that welfare is not something that should be uh, part of our society. People should, you know, make their own wealth and through hard work and so on. You know, certain characters argue with him about, you know, we need a safety net. And he's like, our forefathers never had a safety net. Why do we need one? But he's, you know, he's a rich guy. So, he doesn't really understand the, the struggle of, of the poorer people. So I guess you could say it's quite timely in, in that in that respect. But what happens then, Zach? Well, he gets he gets transported back in time, as you do in the Twilight Zone, and mm. comes across a uh, a community and they have some very it's very odd rules in the community. And they mm-hmm. uh, it, it is like I, I wish the setup was different, to be honest with you. Um, but anyway, well, we'll get to that in a second. So, uh, he meets a woman and she has like a kid and, and they win a contest and, and it's about to go to like, what do they call it? Like, I forget what the, the hotel or there's some word for it that you've won this prize, you know? And, and, yeah, um, yeah, the banquet. Yeah. The, oh, the bank. There it is. The banquet. Right. Oh, that's uh-huh. how, how appropriate now that I know the twist. Right. Um, and so the, the woman seems to think like it's a, uh, she can't like bring her son or something like that. I'm I'm, I'm a little I'm a little foggy because like you I just I just reread all these right. But mm-hmm. bottom line, it appears to be uh, something that she doesn't want to do because she can't go alone or something like that and leave her kid. So he's like, oh well, I'll go for you. And it seems it seems like an altruistic thing for him to do. And it mm-hmm. sounds like a good thing too. He's like, oh, the banquet. This is great. I'm gonna go to this thing. You stay in this great place, you know. Uh, but the twist is the banquet. He is the banquet. Because it's a town of cannibals and it's people. It's a cookbook, all right. So, so, uh, but then he sees the senator from before, and it's a again, it's one of these weird like time, space continuum things. Where I'm not sure exactly is this guy immortal? Is this is this a pocket universe he's entered into to teach him a lesson? Now, I'm not sure exactly where he was. If this was even a real place, or if it was just some you know, like I said, pocket universe he's fallen into. Uh, but then he gets ripped yeah. apart and eaten. Because of welfare. So there you go. He learns his lesson. <laughs> <laughs> well, the thing is... I'm sorry that was of a convoluted spot. No, no. I, <laughs> I kind of... I, I went along with it to a point. You know, he's this senator. He doesn't agree with welfare. But then he is sent back in time to a kind of uh, like shantytown type deal. 
you know, yes. and he's staying in this uh, what they call a flop house or something. So very poor area, you know, very poor people, and they're making do. And you know, I'm not hundred percent hundred percent up on my American history, but it seems that it's the time when America is going to introduce uh, their welfare kind of state. I, I don't know what the situation over there is with that, but some sort of safety blanket, you know, if you're unemployed, then you can get a certain amount of money to help you back up on the ladder. That, that's what it seems to me anyway. So he gets it in his head that he's been sent there to stop this happening, to stop this welfare state in America mm. being formed. Right. So I guess in, in normal Twilight Zone, kind of situations I would imagine that he's going back there to learn a lesson that actually poor people aren't all bad and sometimes we all do need a helping hand Mm -hmm. to to get back on the ladder and to get our lives in order and sometimes we do need a little bit of a handout to just help us do that but instead he gets eaten so you want a twist there's your twist so (laughs) it seems very disjointed in that respect for me you know i i guess by this point you know going back in time and seeing the people who you have previously spoken badly of and disagreed with their place in life and seeing things through their eyes that's a pretty usual twilight zone trope isn't it you know we've seen it a few times so that okay that's fine but then when they just eat them at the end it's like okay but the thing is not only do they eat him but he meets when he was in his own time at the beginning of the story he meets the the guy who sort of opposed him at that point and he's one of the people who who eats him so i i feel like they they tried to do maybe two or three too many things with this one have they taken maybe one or two pieces out made a little more streamlined yeah. like i said like not the not the senator from before who was his adversary don't have him in the past uh maybe don't have him get eaten at the end uh i, I was i mean i was just thinking about you know because we're all monday morning quarterbacks here i right? were thinking about it like maybe if he had been like you know driving home from washington dc pulls over in this you know bad weather he has to pull over into some small town uh, that's that's impoverished and they have something going on there. I, I know that would have changed the time travel thing, but I, I feel like that kind of story maybe could have helped better. Because, again, it's all these mm-hmm. kind of these weird communities that you come across, right, in, in the Twilight Zone. You know, that that made it, might have stuck better. And then I don't know what kind of ending. I definitely would have had him die because I'd rather – again, the personal journey. His journey was, mm-hmm. I'm a jerk. I don't like welfare. Oh, good. I can destroy welfare before it even begins. Oh, I'm dead. That's his journey. Yeah. That's his character arc here. So it's like, oh. Okay, I like I, it, that's. I mean, there are there are episodes of Twilight Zone where there are, are irredeemable characters. You know, there's like um, yeah, Salvador Ross, right? That's a great one, right there. I love the mm-hmm. ending of that one too. The gut punch to that one. So I mean, the, not every. I'm not saying that every episode or or story in the Twilight Zone needs to have a a person learns a lesson, they come back a better man. But I feel like it's some sort of progression and evolution. I feel like he was just static the whole time, and and yeah. then he got eaten. So. And, you know, I guess you could look at it if if there was a safety net there and there's a welfare state, then these people wouldn't have had to eat them. I think it's a bit of a push. It, Like you say, it's it's just adding those just a bit too much into that story. And Buck Houghton, that quote, I can't remember the exact word and where he says there's one trick per story, mm, yes. you know. So you either go back in time and something happens, but you don't go back in time and then meet a ghost. Or you, <laughs> you don't go back in time and then get eaten <laughs> you know what I mean right. so I wasn't a fan of this one to be honest I, I wasn't too keen on this one at all next up we have a story called Not Fair 
And this is about a guy who loves to spend his weekend at Renaissance fairs. He likes to dress up as a knight and, you know, play fight and so on. But he's a, look, I think he's a teacher. And he goes into school, he's got students and so on. And, you know, he bores them a little bit about his weekend and, and that kind of thing. And the other teachers kind of rip him about it a bit. They they call him uh, filthy instead of Phil. And they kind of make fun of him for, for his love of Renaissance fairs. <laughs> do you have do you have Renaissance fairs over there in the UK? Um, not that I've ever been to. Oh. You know, you, you sometimes have... Um, you know, you'll go to a castle or something and you'll have the staff dressed up as, mm. you know, knights and that kind of thing. I'm not sure there's Renaissance fairs as such, but I could be wrong. No, you I, know, I could be wrong. They're pretty prevalent in the United States. I enjoy them. Uh, one, just, to, you know, it's a great day to be outside, usually in the fall, mm-hmm. and the weather's beautiful. Uh, it's good people watching because you have people like this yeah. dressing up and all this stuff. And, you know, I just kind of enjoy it. You know, you go for the food, they have, like, turkey legs and that kind of thing. So it is a fun experience. <laughs> Um, yeah. I, and I do, I, I do like the setup of, the, of this story. Somebody who's like, uh, lives in this, like fancies himself some amazing night. Right. But again, it's all make-believe it's play. And he takes it. You can even tell, like he takes it a little too seriously. Even the other guys mm-hmm. are like, cause he's, you know, doing a fake sword fight and the other guys are like, Hey man, you know, they're a little more, you know, uh, level headed <laughs> than him. And, uh, yeah. but this is, this is his thing. Like, this is what he, he obviously dissatisfied with his life and, and, and he, he gets, you know, fulfillment from this. And, and you know, his coworkers are jerks. It's like, look, the guy likes the Renaissance Fair. He might take a little mm-hmm. too far, right? But just give the guy, yeah. let him have his fun, right? Uh, but yeah. then we get a, you know, th- this I did, I did like, this is reminding me of, uh, I'm, I'm, I'm just spreading out the episodes that come to mind as, as I read these, right? Uh, uh, mm. But uh, Rance McGrew, right? Where he's like, a, yeah, yeah. he's a country western star and he's a tough cowboy. But then like, oh, wait, I'm in the past, you know? Mm-hmm. And I'm not a tough cowboy. Oh, I'm in trouble now, right? That's just, This is a great... Um, a great angle to take with this guy because oh now he's a knight and he is a terrible knight like he is you know <laughs> he he misunderstands what's going on like he he gets he he tries to say that that he's sir so and so and they're like no mm-hmm. i know so and so you're not him and so he gets in some trouble there so i i'm a hundred percent with the story i'm like i'm this is good this is good stuff but then it takes another wrinkle at the end and maybe you could explain to me tom the last <laughs> the left turn it takes at the very end where it's like the future now and they're in like 80s action movie land and it's so much better than like the whole point is like another point they're trying to make i guess is oh you always look back in the world that's not yours and think it's better than the one you're in and there's something to be said for that but i I felt like Uh they they should have just stuck with you know the renaissance fair thing and follow that through to conclusion um and i felt like we're sitting here second guessing everything (laughs) you know so i feel kind (laughs) of i feel like a bad monday morning quarterback here right so write your own story okay i get it i get it but i just i'm just trying to find ways that 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 i think would would streamline it more and make it a more cohesive story because i i I was kind of taken aback by the by the end left turn where Uh it's like you know the the futuristic people looking at the 80s so i don't know what did you think about that well I'll, i'll tell you what i struggled with with this one because like we say this guy, he, he loves a renaissance fair, you know, and from the sounds of it, they sound great. But you've got to be careful, Zach. You can't like renaissance fairs because you two might end up actually in the renaissance. I don't know. But, um, but yeah, so he goes back in time and he's in this cruddy village. You know, 30-year-old women look like 70-year-old women. 15-year-old girls are sort of 
of sexual age in bars, that the, kind the of smell, thing. So the, he's overpowered by the smell. I thought that was a nice touch, something people don't think about about the past, right? People can't take a shower every day. <laughs> <laughs> so there's all this stuff, and he, he goes back there. But, but yeah, then there's this left turn at the end where, you're right, how he ends up there, the, the device just doesn't seem to be there. He ends up in the future, but... It's kind of like, a, like you say, an 80s action movie. And he's like, no, no, it wasn't like this. It wasn't like this. Uh, but everyone else seems to think it's great. But the thing is, my, my struggle with this one is, so the guy likes Renaissance fairs, you know? So <laughs> let him, let him, like you said, let him have his Renaissance fairs. And when, when he's in school teaching the kids, he's, yeah, okay, he's a bit of a Renaissance fair bore. But he's actually quite good to the kids, you know. He's like, you know, if you've got any problems, then give me a call. It's not like he's a he's such a Renaissance fair fan that he's a he's an arse, you know. He he's actually he's a nice guy. He just loves his Renaissance fairs, <laughs> and and I, I just don't feel like he deserves this kind of fate. Exactly. You know what is, I mean? he, is he trapped in some loop that will ever like? Whenever something like gets reset, he's in another time period. He lives in another because he's not the teacher anymore. It seems like his real life is playing these video games in the future. So I don't know. Mm-hmm. Again, this is what we were, you mentioned earlier. Like I'm like, did I miss something here? Did, is there a page missing from this comic book that would help explain? I, I don't know. It feels that way. It, it looks like it. So yeah, I mean, you can read it, and it, it's sort of amusing in in its own way. Mm-hmm. You know, if someone's going to get some Twilight Zone intervention, then I, I kind of feel like there needs to be more of a reason than just liking Renaissance fairs. And I guess it's trying to say, at the end, it's like, be careful what you wish for and how hard you wish for it. Mm. But this would be like, you know, you're a huge Star Trek fan. This would be like you finding... Might, you'd be mate, you'd be over the moon, though, you're finding <laughs> yourself on the Enterprise. I'm like, this is you? great! <laughs> <laughs> so, I don't know. You know, it, it, it's okay, but... Like I say, I just, I just don't feel like it, it fits. The punishment doesn't fit the crime, mm-hmm. if the crime is like in Renaissance Fair. So <laughs> there you go. Right, now, this next story, I'll be honest with you, it's called The Secret Oversharer. Mm-hmm. And it starts out with a lady talking about social media. So you think, great, you know, surely this is something that Twilight Zone <laughs> needs to get involved in. Um because it, it, it's such a prevalent thing today, and sure, you know, mm-hmm. Black Mirror explores this quite well. So maybe it's time for the Twilight Zone to have its its say on social media. So this lady, she's talking about it on television, and, and she kind of starts to withdraw from social media and that kind of thing within her own life, and she's commenting on other people's use of social media you you know she goes on and she's commenting on it more and more she's withdrawing from it more and more herself and and is it a bad thing or a good thing yes that's that's exactly it that's exactly it i mean right let's get to the end okay and then we'll talk about it because i feel the middle of it is such a muddle it doesn't flow very well for me um in the end, basically, she withdraws from social media and so on so much that she ceases to exist. She she has pointed out within the story that if you're not posting what you're doing on social media, then it's like pictures or it didn't happen, you know, and that's how people are living their lives now. And I think that's that's a pretty good thing to explore, you know, but she disappears in the end. What are your thoughts, Zach? <laughs> and to you. Uh... Yeah, I, I I didn't know. At first, I thought, th- I guess I thought they were gonna go one way with it, 
then they win another. Like it's like it's good because yes, I I, I agree that the Twilight Zone. This is some great material. Mm-hmm. Obviously, social media is new, right? Twilight Zone hasn't even in the two thousand show we didn't have the the social media we have today. So mm-hmm. uh, the fact that yeah, we all spend way too much time on our phones and connected and all that, and I feel like people need to dial it back some because you know people live these lives on social media, they're like in, enviable. It's like, oh, look, mm-hmm. look at this guy. He's with his wife for doing this, or doing that. Oh, he just got, yeah, because you're posting all the best things that happen to you. You don't know, just because you know someone's social media profile doesn't mean you know them. And then there's this, yeah. this preoccupation with like, oh, let me take a picture of my meal before I eat it and all that. That is, that is a, you know, an issue with, with just, just society as it goes these days. So I felt like, mm-hmm. oh, this is cool. This author is like kind of like against the grain saying, hey, get off the grid, you know. But then they try to act like that's a bad thing, I guess, because these little like uh, wacky, waving, inflatable, arm-filling tube men shadows chase her around, and like yeah. th- th- it's very subtle. You actually don't. It's a very subtle connection of what what they're doing and like and like her disappearance um, mm-hmm. from the world. But like the more she retreats, the more like life retreats more than she want. Life retreats for her more than she wanted to retreat for herself. She's missing deadlines yeah. at her publisher. She's like, and then, then like her, she goes on a date with this guy and the next day he's like, I don't know what you're talking about. I've never seen it before. Uh, mm-hmm. So the, the bleed over to the real life versus the social media, a really cool idea, like a really cool idea, but they didn't nail it. They did not stick the landing. I don't even know if they stuck the flight really because at the yeah. end she just she she walks off and those little waving shadow guys kind of observe and they leave and and I don't know and, and it did remind me of a uh, Richard, Richard Matheson's story uh disappearing act uh mm. short story he wrote which inspired uh and the sky and then the sky open or the twilight zone where like you disappear cuz that's cool because if you did the isolation again that, that's what's cool about this story in the twilight zone aspect is that this this stuff is happening to this woman and she can't share it with anyone because they're like nope i've never seen it before this that she thinks she's going mm-hmm. crazy maybe she is uh you do, but the the presence of those other entities kind of throw a wrinkle in there and i wish they had left them out so there we are and i and i and i left it saying this was a really cool idea i wish they had done something else with it i don't know what that something else would be but i don't mm-hmm. think they got the message across they were trying to get or any message I, so that that's my take yeah i part of me thinks it, it it's almost as if the morality is backwards on it you know because i was more with her than <laughs> yes. anyone else in the yes. story yes this is a line from her, she, and it kind of goes with what you said she says what percentage of posts do you see that are essentially bragging look at me look at what i'm doing look at what i'm eating where i'm going what i'm watching um, and she says, we're not satisfied just doing anything or experiencing anything ourselves anymore. It's like nothing exists for us if we don't post something about it or share it. And I actually think that that's very true, you know. And I, I myself have withdrawn from social media quite a lot uh, over the past year or two. For that very reason, I, I felt that it was just becoming too much of a thing in my life, that I, I was on it all the time. Um, so I actually agree with her point of view here. So, so the fact that in the end it's it's her, she disappears. So she was right, but I'm not sure what the the kind of lesson she should have kept on social media. Yeah, what kind of life is she going to go live now? Does she still exist? Does she truly fade away? You know, like she fades mm-hmm. away from her life, but is she going to have a new life somewhere with a clean slate? I, I don't know. I again, the morality does seem backwards on this one. I, I, I'm, I'm in line with you on that for sure. So, I guess we'll leave that one where it is. You know, good idea, mm-hmm. just not sure on the execution. 
Okay, so let's go to our next story, which is called Hangnail. <laughs> Hangnail on a monkey's paw. Yeah. Okay. And, right, let me try and recall the setup to this one. We Maybe some sort of, okay, former vice president butler. Mm-hmm. Okay, so he's a former vice president, and he's speaking out on, you know, radicals and extremists and so on. Uh, that are destroying America. So again, very topical for the for the times and so on. But he's speaking on television. He's he's talking about all this stuff on TV. And when he gets home, there's a man waiting in his house, who kind of kidnaps him. And it turns out that this guy uh, was tortured as a result of you know his policies or, or something like that. So he's back to exact revenge for the for the torture that he suffered. Now, the way he's doing this is he's using a monkey's paw. So he uses this paw to wish that this vice president will never die. Uh, he also uses it, I think, to stop people interfering in this kidnap attempt. It's your classic monkey's paw, you know, like from that original story, mm-hmm. you can wish on it uh, and so on. Well, it's a great title, Hangman on a Monkey's Paw. That kind of, there's some connotation there. You think, oh, okay, I, I understand this. This is part of cultural, you know, lore, the Monkey's Paw. So you think, oh, they're going to do mm-hmm. something unique with this, perhaps. And I guess they kind of do. And to your point, yet yeah, we see him use two wishes. Um, mm-hmm. The third wish, you think he's, but they, eventually they get stuck in a car on a railroad track together. And yeah. and you think oh he's gonna use the third wish to get out but he's like no I used the first wish to escape so that kind of explains because the whole time like oh, where did this guy even come from how do you even get in here so he he mm-hmm. he came across this this and he used it to escape and and he wishes the guy never dies and uh, interesting because if you think about it Im- people want immortality right but do they want immortality yeah. or they want eternal youth I mean there's a difference you know invincibility all that kind of thing uh, so immortality without eternal youth is a horrible thing, which we see in this, in this mm-hmm. episode. And, uh, I don't know why we fast forward to the end. It's like, you know, years yeah. later. Um, I don't know why the vice president still needs to be like taken care of. Like, can't they let, like they're injecting him with stuff and all this, like, and it's the, it's the family. It's, it's the, it's the guy, the, the guy who kidnapped him and put the curse on him's family, uh, that's taking care mm. of him still. That confused me. What I think it is, basically this vice president, the, the the guy who kidnaps him is driving away to whatever his fate is going to be, whatever he's got in, in store for him. I don't know what that is mm-hmm. because we don't find out because the car gets hit by a train and the vice president gets mangled up in this car wreck and he's basically like a half a torso with a head. Oh, it's disgusting, yeah. But because he's wished him to be uh, immortal... It, it's almost like he says, well, he's my responsibility for now. And when they're injecting him with stuff, it's stuff to keep him asleep. Because his, his kid says, you know, Jeva, let him wake up. And he says, no, he he would only suffer. I, I mean, it, it, it's kind of interesting. I guess it's some sort of... I mean, the closing narration is, for you to bear witness, a watcher who became a watcher of a different sort, a man who tried to give karma a push and lost his footing who fell along with the intendant recipient of said karma deep into the twilight zone. So I guess the the kidnapper, maybe what it's trying to say is he should have let karma do its own thing instead of trying to force the issue using the monkey's paw. And he ends up being a, a prisoner in a way because he's got to now look after this 
head torso guy and inject him with sleep and stuff every day. And it's become his own curse. A self-imposed curse, I guess. Yeah, so, you know, he he's tried to give Karma a push and it's hit back, I guess. I don't know. What do you, what do you think of this one, man? Well, it's it tries to be like a poetic justice thing. Like, oh, you thought you were going to get revenge. Well, you know, the universe is going to get revenge on you, right? It's like, but again, he's choosing, from my interpretation, like he's choosing to continue to to ease this person's immortality because uh, he's never mm-hmm. going to die and he's telling his kid like you're going to have to take over one day pay attention you know these injections are going to keep him asleep you know um, but I, I guess I wished for one more kind of like reason why he would be locked into that there's not mm-hmm. really a, like a Twilight Zone cosmic justice going on there it's just oh I guess he felt guilty and he's decided to take care of this guy like that's really mm-hmm. the only explanation you get and it's like yeah I guess yeah. <laughs> but but again the, the, the ramifications of immortality uh, when you don't, you know, we just keep getting older, right? That that shows you right mm-hmm. there why we die, all right? I mean, like, yeah. like we're on this earth, and our bodies degrade, and you don't want to live to 200 years old, because it's not a pretty sight. Even if this guy had his whole body, it wasn't just head and torso, as you said, it would be it would be pretty gross, and uh, and yeah, it's it's a horrible existence that he's destined to do forever now, so that, that mm-hmm. is, it is unsettling, for sure. I'll put this one maybe sort of middling, you know, it, it wasn't bad as such, it's just, there's a few, there's a few things that are a little problematic with it but you know it it's okay it's okay but our, our next story is called cold calculation now this is very reminiscent of, of one particular twilight zone episode i think and can you think off the top of your head what this one is well the the, the forbidden well yeah the the whole forbidden planet uh costumes and ufos me thinking about a lot of episodes but uh i guess uh-huh. it would be third from the sun correct absolutely Ooh, i passed pass the twilight zone test there thank goodness you can stay <laughs> well um uh, you know i don't think we should spend too much on this one mm-hmm. because it, it is quite a simple story it's flowered up with some conflict between characters and so on but basically we have a ship full of people going to try and find a planet to settle on and they go to this planet and they say, well, you know, it's too cold for us. We need to heat it up. And in order to do so, they've got this device that will heat this planet up. So that's where the conflict comes from, because some characters are like, you can't do that. It's not fair. The beings on that planet will die if we heat it up. It's it's not right. We don't have the right to do that. And then there's other characters who are saying, I don't care. You know, we need to live, so we're going to do it. And then they go, well, Hold on a minute. <laughs> this planet is heating up by itself. The people on this planet are heating it up from what they're doing. It's Earth. So it is classic third from the sun mm-hmm. kind of story. So what what do you think of this one, Zach? Well, uh, just in the presentation alone, this is the first one so far that's been in black and white. So it really mm-hmm. felt like the Twilight Zone more than any of the other stories. So I really appreciated that. Obviously, all the visual influences, like I said, like the... UFO, the, the animated UFO prop from Forbidden Planet, the costumes that mm-hmm. you see on Twilight Zone time after time are there. So it felt, it, it really felt like it sits on the shelf with all those other, you know, astronaut Twilight Zone uh, stories. And so I, I really, this honestly, this probably might be my favorite one of the whole lot. It, it, mm-hmm. it, maybe it's the nostalgia that, that wins me over, but there was, there was a twist. There was a story with those characters, you know, it, you know, a few guys on a bridge of a ship arguing about you know, big moral issues. That's like the Twilight Zone right there, right? And and yeah, and, and a great ending. And I I really enjoyed it. I mean, I, I if I if this was like isolated, I'd be like, yes, 
check out this cool Twilight Zone story I found. You know, it's there, you gotta you gotta get through mm-hmm. a lot to get to here, but now that we're here, this is this is my favorite one. I'm gonna go ahead and say it. Yeah, I mean, it, it is. You're right. It is a bit of a throwback with a, a sort of modern um, concern at its mm-hmm. center. You know, global warming, and and they come across. Oh, the you know the people are doing it themselves, <laughs> which is very Twilight Zone. You know, uh, the monsters are due on Maple Street. All you have to do is turn off the lights, and they'll do it themselves. Right. You know, so it is kind of humanity uh, screw themselves over at every turn type of story. So, yeah, you know, it's 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 decent. It's a it's a good sort of throwback Twilight Zone story, I think. But I'm not sure there's much else to say on it because it is quite straightforward, isn't it? Yeah. So at the end, though, like, or is I, there were there were I had one interpretation of it though. It's like was were they like? Is it one of these things where like the planet is at a different time, like speed than the aliens, and like they saw like early life, and then they see humans now, and then humans will burn themselves out, and they'll just go land on the planet, or is it really like oh humans are causing global warming? Right now, and we have, yeah, I mean, you know, you know, what I'm trying to say about the like the time discrepancy because mm-hmm. originally they say, oh, it's just some, you know, early lower life forms. I didn't know if like they they got a better look at it, and that was the twist, or if it was truly, you know, in real time. That was the only kind of point right. of question I had about it. Did, you, did that strike you at all? There's definitely some disparity with how they see time, mm-hmm. I think, uh, and whether that's just because they live a lot longer than humans, so they're like. Yeah, we'll wait a hundred years. You know, yeah. they'll it'll be warm enough by then, uh-huh. or whether a hundred years to them takes you know ten seconds. I'm not quite sure which one it is, uh-huh. but there's definitely some sort of time disparity there. Yeah, and that was yeah. a clever wrinkle to kind of allow for the twist more than than otherwise. So yeah, so yeah, thumbs up. Good, good. Okay, right. Our next story is called "It's All in How You Frame It." Now, this seems to be about some millionaire guy or something. You know developer and he develops these glasses <laughs> you already, you already it, seem to not be a fan of this one <laughs> well i've got to tell you this this one was a struggle mm. this one was a struggle uh he develops these glasses i can't even remember what they're supposed to do but he's able to see people's souls i think correct with these glasses yeah. so he, he can tell if someone's a good person or a bad person you know he sees someone die and he sees their soul leave their body that kind of thing um, now, before we get to the end, and I, he's going along and he's seeing people in various situations, and I just kind of got confused about what really was going on half the time. I mean, is that just me? Uh, yeah, because he see, I I didn't know if it was like a, a mood soul, right? If there were like different mm-hmm. colors for what was going on, because he he sees different colored auras around people. I didn't know if that was just happened to be their aura. Or if it was yeah. based off their intentions or their actions, that was a little unclear. So he makes mm-hmm. some decisions based off some things he sees, and it's supposed to be some big twist. But I didn't really get why it was a twist because I didn't understand what like oh oh they're orange. Well, that must mean this, right? I don't. They never really clarify. And I guess he doesn't really know because he's the only guy with these glasses. Kind of like they live, right? Where he's got the glasses and yeah. he sees a whole different kind of world. But in concept, I really did like this story though. Um, I just wish they would have you defined. Did? Yeah, I did. I, I like the idea uh-huh. of it I, because it's like you know. Can, I mean, if I can go ahead and jump to the to, to yeah, the end yeah. here, uh, he sees everybody has a soul, but everybody tells him like he's like a heartless guy and this this and that. And he looks in the mirror and he and he and he sees that, that he he sees that he has no soul, and that's kind of mm-hmm. like that. I know it's very, you know, maybe a little too ham fisted, right? About the the evil uh, corporate the nose, guy, right? Yeah. But I thought, that, oh, okay, that's that's interesting. But I, I wish they had defined mm-hmm. some more things along the way. 
Um, yeah. And surely, if, I'm surely he's not the only person who's a soulless corporate monster out there. Surely he'd run into one or two <laughs> other people without an aura. I, I don't know, but uh, but he did. But, but then he saw someone die, and he saw their soul yeah. either bite. I'm like, oh, that's that's interesting. Again, there are a lot of kernels of interesting ideas in this story. But everything was left mm-hmm. way too vague, as you said, Tom. I was a little. I found myself like turning the pages back and forth a couple times to like, did I miss again? Did I miss something? Because mm-hmm. I, I felt like this was not defined. I felt like a, if there was like one little dialogue somewhere, I might have skimmed over that would have explained why he took certain actions. But th- th- they weren't there because I, I checked. <laughs> I checked again, yeah. uh, and and th- that's what hurts it. I think a lack of uh, the defi- defining exactly what is going on. Yeah, I, I just struggled knowing, you know, what what path was he taking? What benefit is he getting from this? And maybe it's in there, you know, I'll try and read it again. But overall, I didn't think much of this one. Well, but, but, but it, <laughs> takes, it takes technology, you know, uh, uh-huh. and it makes like that be the magic object of the Twilight Zone. Right? Like he has these mm-hmm. magic glasses, you know, or, you know, for example, yeah. you know, but, but it's just he had created it through his, you know, it's it's like, it's like, Chris Nolanizing the Twilight Zone. Okay, well, he has these magic glasses. Where do they come from? Oh, he invented them. This, this, that. So that's what we're doing here. I'm kind of modernizing it. So I, I get, I, I appreciate what they were trying to do with this story. Mm-hmm. And I kind of see, I kind of, maybe they had a page limit. You know, I mean, these are comics. You know, if this was a, a free yeah. form Netflix show or whatever, or, or CBS All Access show, there wouldn't be a time limit and we could be shorter or longer, maybe expand on some things. So there, there you go. So I will defend this one. I know you seem kind of down on it, but I will defend. The, the soul glasses uh, story. So. Okay, okay. Well, I'll let you have that one. <laughs> I don't know about this next one, though. Oh, this, this next one is terrible. I'm gonna... <laughs> <laughs> oh, it's called Laughing Matter. And it's about like this bank manager guy. And his son works in the bank. His son is attracted to a female employee in the bank. He draws a picture of her one day and his father finds it and he kind of humiliates his son, doesn't he? Mm -hmm. And, you know, he shows everyone this picture and he shows the woman this picture and he's like, you know, he's attracted to you, et cetera, et cetera, trying to embarrass his son. But she actually thinks it's, it's quite sweet. But then he sort of fakes like a check going missing or something so he can fire this woman. Mm-hmm. And then he goes, well, actually, oh, I found the check. I didn't need to fire her at all, but she's going to stay fired. And she's going to know that you didn't stand up for her and she's going to hate you forever for that. It's like, man, like, do you really like, I understand father and son drama, but this is extreme. <laughs> yeah. This is extreme and unnecessary. So Yeah, and unrealistic to the you know nth degree. Right. Now, unfortunately... His son then commits suicide in the office. He hangs himself. And everyone walks in. And they, when, when they see him, they all start to laugh. Or it's actually when they see a, a picture that he's drawn of his father, I think. Yeah. Is that what it is? Yeah, because everyone starts laughing. Because he wants people to laugh at his dad the way they laughed at him. I assume that was like his last bit of revenge. But he has some kind of magic in his artwork or something. Like yeah. that. <laughs> because then when his dad walks in, whenever anyone sees his dad's face, then they start to laugh at his dad's face. Dad's then like, are you crazy? Have you all lost your minds? And he's he's running around. And we, we don't see dad's face throughout the rest of the story because he's always got his arm in the front of his face or something. And it, he's running around, smashing things up. Oh, no, you know, what's happened? And then he runs into the bathroom and 
he looks in the mirror and his face is now like the drawing that his son did of him uh-huh. that people were originally laughing at. Then he laughs at it and has a heart attack, I interpreted, and he dies. <laughs> yeah. And then, I, the beholder, this is not, that's for sure. That That's so true. Uh, and the closing narration is, Oh, would some power the gift give us to see ourselves as others see us, said the poet, for one entirely humorless, entirely ridiculous man, a very special parting gift postmarked the Twilight Zone. I, ju- I just thought this story was really, really awful. I agree. You know, I don't know what to say on it, to be honest. It's it's just... A party gift from a young man who committed suicide because he was pushed through by his father from the Twilight Zone. Like, whoa, wow, thanks, guys. That's dark <laughs> and pointless and silly all at the same time. So Poorly executed. Um... Yeah, we're being tough on this. I mean, we love the Twilight Zone, okay? <laughs> we lo- if you heard us, we sang the praises of uh, the Straczynski run and the, and the Shadow crossover, okay? And we've liked yeah. some of the stories here. I know we're being, it's kind of tough. It's a tough run here, guys, but we're just telling it how we see it. So uh, there it is. If, if, if somebody <laughs> if somebody can find some meaning and appreciation for this story, you know, let us know. I'd be, I'd be curious to hear it, so. Absolutely, man. You know, I, I and I always say this on every show. If I I don't like an episode and it happens, or I interpret it a particular way and someone thinks differently, then I'm always happy to hear that and I'll always read it out. So if someone likes this story or any of these stories that we've maybe give a bad time to, then do do let us know. Okay. Um, now our next story it sort of set up like a, it kind of reminded me of Stand By Me, you know, the movie, <laughs> the, the way it was drawn and stuff like that. Yes. And we got a couple of kids and they're always being sort of pestered by this this younger kid, it seems, or, or or a kid who always wants to hang out with them. What they do, they're, you know, they're in a position of power and, and they're kind of like, all right, well, I'll tell you what, to hang out with us, you need to go in and say to your mom, such and such a thing. You've got to go in and say whatever. So he goes into his house and he says what they tell him to say to his mother. But then when he goes in, you you just you just hear the sound of his mother giving him a beating. So this happens once, and then they watch some Rance McGrew on the TV, yeah, that, which was a nice little nice, touch. Because yeah. <laughs> I, I was reading this around the time that episode had come out, so I was like, it was perfect. Uh huh. Of your yeah. episode of it. Proud podcast yeah so you know that happens and these these kids are kind of mulling over why they're so mean to this other kid and so on so that you know that happens and then they see him the next day and he's playing with an etch-a-sketch is that what you called them in america etch-a-sketch that's correct we had we had magna doodles and etch-a-sketches mm-hmm. i was more of a team magna doodle because it was easier but etch-a-sketch was a lot harder because he has the knobs you know so it's hard to, yeah. hard to draw on that thing you know? he draws this picture on the etch-a-sketch and he's like here's a picture of me mom and it's sort of like like just a load of wavy lines, a, a weird sort of shape on the Etch-A-Sketch. Mm-hmm. And they're like, okay, well, you really can't draw then. And he's like, okay, whatever. And then the, he's like, so can I hang out with, with you now? And they're like, well, you can, but you've got to go in and say this to your mum. And he says, okay, then. So he goes in and says this to, says something presumably quite nasty to his mum, mm-hmm. and he gets another beating. Second beating of the story. Mm-hmm. Uh, then what happens is he, he goes in, you know, again, can I play with you? Can I hang out with you? Well, you've got to pass the last test. You've got to go in and say this to your mom. So he goes in, says this thing to his mom and, and gets another beating. And they're like, oh, man, she's really giving it to him this time, mm-hmm. you know. And they actually go over to, to kind of see what's going on. And they see him reaching 
out and then the door slams shut. So they go away and then they, they kind of go back the next day or whatever. And they go in and the, the house is empty except for an Etch-a-Sketch. Now earlier on they said, well, he really can't draw because that that drawing on the Etch-a-Sketch was so muddled and it was just this this crazy drawing. But they find the Etch-a-Sketch and he's drawn a perfect picture of the two of them on it. So, and they say he could draw his mother in it. So what it's saying is, you know, that when he drew this sort of distorted image on the Etch-a-Sketch, then he could actually draw his mom. <laughs> yeah, so his mom, I mean, is an energy being of some kind, and they're aliens. And for some, I mean, this is now I'm just, I'm hypothesizing, right? My interpretation, right? <laughs> for some reason, the child could present himself as a human child, but the parents don't, uh, or the mom doesn't, and... She is a ball of energy, and he, he, he ticks her off one too many times, and he's probably like, all right, these kids are bad influence. We're leaving this planet. This is garbage. Uh, mm-hmm. And then he leaves his parting gift to his friends, and that was my interpretation. And I, again, it uh, I don't know. There's something here. There's something to this story I kind of like. But again, the, the there's also a lot of stuff missing, <laughs> which I, I feel like would be necessary to really have this kind of bring it home. Because they try, again, like, as you build it up there, it's like, oh, he can't draw, but he can. Like, that's their big twist, right? Um, I just, I don't know. I, what, what are your thoughts, Tom? I wasn't sure whether it, whether she was an uh, an energy being or, or some alien. I, I thought it was just making out that she was something monstrous, something, maybe this is how he sees his mom. Mm. You know, she's actually just horrible, this horrible you know, in his mind more than actually what she physically is. But then it kind of says in the closing narration, emotion before would-be presidents and vice presidents proceed with caution because the victims of your club's blunt force trauma may just be refugees desperate for a little companionship before they're dragged back to the nether regions of the Twilight Zone. So is that saying there's some beings, you know, here? <laughs> they, they walk among us, Tom. Yeah. <laughs> Again, you you can kind of read it. You can follow this one fairly easily. I, I was just a little confused by what exactly it, she was supposed to be in the end. You yeah, know? I, and I think I think if you're just confused by one thing at the end, and it's kind of open mm-hmm. to interpretation, that's fine. You know, mm-hmm. uh, I, I do wish there was maybe a little more. Like I, I don't know what, but I, there's a little more something to kind of fill the story out. But yeah. it, like you said, it's you can read it from point A to point B. It's all very logical. I don't feel like there were any missing pages, you know, like I had in some of the other stories. <laughs> so so that definitely has it going for it there. Okay. So, you know, again, maybe it's something I'll go back to and maybe try and reappraise that one in the future. Mm-hmm. But, you know, certainly not the worst in the in the collection, right. but problematic in a couple of ways. It'd be, it'd be in my top tier of this one. Mm-hmm. You know, if there's like three tiers of this collection, it would be in the top, in the bottom of the top, but but in the top one nonetheless. Okay, so our final story is called The Comics Code, and I won't spend a huge amount of time on this one because it, it's quite simple. We have this guy, and I, and I forget, he's probably based on that real guy from back in the 50s or whatever who was saying, you know, comics are evil. Yes, yeah, there was that book, Seduction of the Innocent, uh, was the actual, the real book that came out in the 50s, which like banned like EC comics and all that, all that good stuff of Tales of the Crypt that you guys talk about on the Patreon. Uh, yeah. But and then the, that's when superheroes really lost their edge. That's when Batman lost his gun. 
you know, uh-huh. <laughs> yeah. Robin and all, you know, all that's the family friendly stuff from the fifties and sixties. So there was, I appreciate the historical uh, inspirations for this. Absolutely. He actually wins, you know, and um, there's a big sort of turn around comics are becoming demonized and so on. But then a, a guy k- turns up and he says, you know what, we, we want to make comics, but we want to, we want to make them um, wholesome. They put this sort of, it's like the comics code authority stamp on them. Mm-hmm. But they called it Fred Fredrickson friendly. <laughs> so if it's got this on it, then it's a decent comic. And you know, this comic called Gentle Adventures, Purity Comics, Bland Man, Pastoral Fun, um, and all of these books uh, seem to to sell quite well. And he says, you know, these have been so successful. We want to expand the brand. You know, we want to bring out other products. And he's like, yeah, that sounds great. You know, we're even going to open up a summer camp. So they take him there and we, we discover that actually um, this guy who's came to them with, with this business idea is actually an alien. And these comics that they've been putting out with his stamp on are a way to speak to the other aliens to say, you know, this is what our plans are. This is what we're going to do. And he pulls his face off and he says, comics are dangerous. And then... Um, they kill the guy. You want to see something really scary? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you know, and and I think it's um it's it's short enough to be kind of just a little funny little stinger one. I think mm. you know it's not going to change anyone's life, but it it was a bit of fun, I suppose. Yeah, I I, I did like again uh, the whole historical precedent for it was interesting. Taking a mm-hmm. twist on actual real life events, there were Congress people who wanted to, you know, end comic books and all that. And and I enjoyed the self awareness of it all. It was like bland man and just the yeah. most rudimentary, silly stuff in the world. But that that's the you know the equivalent of what they were pushing out back then, uh, in, mm-hmm. in response to to the criticism of comics. And um, and yeah, you know, a big alien reveal at the end of like, hey, we're gonna take over the world now, kind of thing. That's that's it's short. It doesn't seem pretentious at all, and it's a it's a fun little story and a, and a nice button to end on. I, I agree with you. So, so I guess you know as a whole because this is where Twilight Zone comics seem to have ended. You know, this is the point where I will bring in the people who want to skip to the end and see whether it's worth buying. So, if you had to sum this collection up, make an assessment. What what are your overall thoughts on it, and it, is it worth investing in? Do you think? I think it's well intentioned. I think they definitely uh, they took a lot of the right cues from the Twilight Zone, like story beats mm-hmm. and and setups and whatnot. They might not have been able to stick the landing on maybe about half of them, <laughs> but uh, yeah. but hey, look at the Twilight Zone itself. It had, it had its dud episodes as well. So I, I feel like the, um, the 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 spirit of the Twilight Zone is here. You have to look a little deeper for it than you could in the previous stories, and I think that's what's hurting him because the the, the Straczynski run and the Shadow run were so good that our mm-hmm. expectations were kind of set pretty high. Had this come out in a vacuum, you'd be like, oh, okay, that's that's recognizable as the Twilight Zone. That's fine. But uh, it, it's got a hard bar to live up to based off those previous ones, and I think that and just the lack of focus is the main thing with this one. 
Um, yeah. A lot of these stories, they kind of they have some good ideas, but they don't stick with those ideas. They try to throw too much in, and it's conf- and, so, and, and in some cases makes the story a little confusing to follow. But look, if you're yeah. a Twilight Zone fan and you want some more Twilight Zone stories, and you know, I I would recommend as, as critical as we if you have been listening the whole time, uh, <laughs> as critical as we have been to this, uh, I, I I would still recommend checking it out if you're a if you're a diehard Twilight Zone fan. It's it's definitely you know worth a, worth a space on your shelf. I'll maybe take it down a, a little notch from that. You know, I'm, I'm certainly no Twilight Zone purist, and, and I'm not saying that there's only one way of doing things. And you're absolutely right. You know, Straczynski set the bar high. Twilight Zone The Shadow w- was great fun. I, I do feel this was a bit of a step down from both of those. And you're right, maybe it was trying to do too much within the time it had. So some of them were just confusing. I found it a lot of them easier to follow on a, on a second reading but then you kind of know the sting by then you've al- you've already mm. found out the twist on the first reading and I, I don't think there's enough depth there to really make them stories that you will read over and over there's some of them that I think yeah maybe I'll, I'll go back to again is it worth investing in I would I would say if your local library has comic books you know graphic novels collections then maybe check it out there first um, or you can find it on eBay for you know a couple of books. Then, then check it out. I'm 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 not saying don't buy it. I just think if you enjoyed the Straczynski run, then maybe dial down your expectations a few notches. And sure, you might you might get a kick out of it, but it's it's certainly not it's certainly not as good as I hoped it would be, which is a bit of a shame. T- too much shadow, not enough substance, right? Hey, good one. Okay, so, <laughs> so you know, that is our look at uh, Shadow and Substance. And, you know, I, I hate to I hate to kind of be negative on the Twilight Zone podcast. I know I review episodes badly sometimes, but you've you got to say how you see it, haven't you? You've got to kind of review things how you find them. Mm-hmm. That is our look at the Twilight Zone comic books from dynamite i hope you've enjoyed it i know it's something a bit different but i think for me it's it's sometimes good to check out these different things but also uh gives me time to prepare for our our next episode so zach it's a shame it's been a year since we last spoke because i really enjoyed doing this with you man so hopefully it won't be too long in the future absolutely tom yeah i love to, to come back on and talk about uh, some twilight zone of some form or fashion with you always great to, to do that and uh and yeah we'll have to make it sooner than a year and uh hopefully not that i didn't necessarily like these comics but something we can be, share a little more positivity <laughs> with. so uh, i like i look forward to it the next opportunity we have to podcast together yeah, absolutely, man. We'll uh, we'll do something soon. Maybe either here or on the Patreon. One way or another, we'll, we'll do something. But uh, thanks for coming on. I really appreciate you taking the time to do it. Absolutely. Like I said, man, you were one of the first podcasts to listen to, so it's an honor to be here on the Twilight Zone podcast. And, and uh, do great work, man. I look for Every time I see a new Twilight Zone episode, Patreon or not, in my feed, I'm like, oh, all right. Set aside some time tonight, listen to this, you know, turn the lights. I try to listen to it in the in the in the format that you recommend, you know, the late night radio kind of stuff for that moody stuff. It's perfect for that kind of stuff. So so uh great great stuff, Tom Keep up the good work and take as long as you want, man. I know that you're always like, Well, I'm sorry, the episode's coming out. Hey, take as long as you want. The quality's great, you know, don't worry about pumping them out. And then these little side these little side quests, so to speak, like about, you know, uh the uh comic books here or Rod Serling seminar here, like the, the that's great and that adds to the scope of what you're already doing on the podcast. Because there's only remember guys, there's only so many episodes, so we don't want Tom to run out because we want to keep this <laughs> podcast going. So Well thank you, Zach. Thank you, man. Um 
Okay, well, what I will do, I will put links to Zach's podcasts in the show notes if you've enjoyed his contribution, and and I really do recommend them. You know, I haven't checked out Smallville, but I kind of only watched it like half of Smallville, but I was a huge Christopher Reeve fan back in the day, mm. so, you know... He, he is in a couple of episodes, just so you know. Yes, yeah. So I'll let you know which ones. If you want to check it out, I'll let you know which ones. <laughs> okay, I will do that. I will do that. But links to Zach's shows are in the show notes, so check those out. And uh, why don't we go over to Rod Serling to find out what's coming up next, and we'll see you next time. And now, Mr. Serling. Next week on the Twilight Zone, we roll in a musical instrument purchased in this store. Now there are pianos and pianos, but this one was manufactured in our own very strange, unpredictable factory. It comes to you via the typewriter of Mr. Earl Hamner, and it boasts a collection of oddities and oddball doings. Next week, you can roll up the rug as we bring you a piano in the house. <laughs>